0: Are you tired of hearing about mental health from a superficial view and want to hear about realistic views? Well, you've come to the right place, a space where healing is central but also normalized. Join hosts Danika and Myra as we engage in topics around mental health and keep it real while also giving you the work. Welcome to Black Woman Healing podcast alright so right, y'all, we're back with another episode of Black Woman Healing Podcast. And as usual, I want to kick us off with a discussion question. So in this question, I'm sure y'all have seen the uproar of black women in their bonnets at the airport and wearing their pajamas and wearing their house slippers, whatever. Um, so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what are y'all's thoughts about wearing your bonnet in public and what it means to you. So Donique, I want to kick it off with you. What are your, just your free thoughts about this whole uproar?
1: I heard a little bit, but I've been trying to like okay, whatever. But um, so I mean, my grandmother did not play and still does not play about you better not come out the house in a scarf bonnet or any of that. So that's just how I was brought up. Like being from, I mean, maybe geographically too. I mean, I'm from Kentucky. I don't know if that has something to do with it too, but my grandmother. You better not, don't come out in no foot, like no uh houseware, no pajamas, no slip. Like, no, you put on clothes. You maybe don't, maybe you don't have to put on Sunday's best, but you, you know, you're not, you're not, I was taught, don't go out in a bonnet or scarf. Have I before? I've worn out a scarf before, would my granny be disappointed probably, but she wasn't there. Um, uh, <laughs> So I think it's, I think it's people's personal individual choice, obviously, if that's what you feel comfortable with, that's okay. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of like somebody just wearing a hat or, you know, certain, sometimes we use, um, you know, like um, certain head wraps and stuff. So it's like, you know, what's, what's that different from it? So I'll, I don't think I'll be doing it just because it's ingrained in me so much, but yeah. eh, I don't got no problem with it. What about you? know um because I was thinking about it and I was like
0: my grandma would be pissed off if she found out I was leaving the house like that because my grandma was very much like on Sundays we do we do our hair we paint our nails we lay out our clothes my grandma's always been very prim and proper because that's how her parents taught her to be um but best believe if I put money into my hair I'm putting on a bottle on the airplane and I'm putting on a scarf um but then I paused and I thought about the experiences that black people have had in this pandemic We've not only had to fight against racism, but we've also had to fight against COVID. We've had to fight against losing people that are important for us. And this uproar in the news has affected us of what's been going on in the world. Why can't we relax? Why do we have to be worried about bonnets what we're wearing and things like that? And so I was doing some reading of um, some of my favorite people on Twitter and they were t- also talking about it. Cause I was like, I know other people have to be thinking this, like why can we have some sense of relaxation And not to say that it has to be that, but for some Black women that has been that. We don't wanna be worried about what we're wearing or how we're presenting when all these other things are going on, that's not in the forefront of my mind. So then it made me think about, have I left all the house with my body around my scarf? Yeah. Is that the front of my mind? No, I got other things going on. So I don't wanna be policing other people. I don't want nobody policing me. So that's ultimately what I've came down to. I don't care what other people do. Nobody should be caring what I'm doing, so. That's just been my piece about it, but I'm curious what you're thinking Amalora.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, I will say that I'm just I'm just amazed like how slow I guess the news is in terms of that this is that this is like risen to the top, right? right <laughs> so like, right. that's the first thing I guess, and the second thing that I think right, I definitely feel the same way about how um you know I think you mentioned your mother grandmothers all of that I definitely feel like I have I definitely have that same kind of upbringing but I do think that I've gone out with my scarf I definitely on the plane wear a headscarf when I'm about to nap that that's like a (laughs) no-brainer that just has to happen but I just feel like um why I just don't understand why why are we paying attention to this when we got so many things mm-hmm. that need to be done about mm-hmm. our people and like it's just the media can just be oh, so trifling that's that's basically my synopsis I don't actually care wear your bonnet do what you need to do you survive to 2021 kudos do you yep. that's right I mean.
0: yes thank you for that
1: yes <laughs>
2: So everybody, we're all in agreement. So like, do
1: you? Mm-hmm. It's, it's fine. Uh, and I do like the like the fact that you all both brought up. Like, we have so much more things to worry about. Like, we're literally just trying to survive out here. It's black bodies. Like, come on. Like, chill. So, that was a a good little question. Um, so go ahead and get started. I'm going to read of uh, Dr. Omalara's bio. So Dr. Omalara. Um, is a board-certified pediatrician for over 15 years and an academic faculty for over a decade, mentoring women physicians of color. She is CEO and founder of Melanin Medicine and Motherhood, a company designed to provide black women physicians with support through an online community, networking, masterclass events, courses, and coaching. As a life and career strategist, she provides black women with culturally informed strategies and systems to reduce burnout, achieve personal and professional fulfillment, rediscover their purpose, and finally achieve their vision for life without struggle or sacrifice. Her career has been defined by a passion for social justice and advocate a professor and researcher committed to ensuring that all women and children have an equal right to thrive. She has worked as a global physician across sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and the Caribbean. In that capacity, she is the CEO of Strong Children Wellness and an innovative family practice that addresses both unmet health and social needs for families in New York. Dr. Uwe Medimo, ooh, I'm sorry, so sorry, is an expert in the topics of medical racism, addressing equity for women physicians in healthcare, and eliminating health inequities for marginalized children and families. Her work has been featured in several media outlets, including People.com. NBC News, Medscape, Essence.com, Newsweek, Cranes, Politico, Reuters, and NPR. So let's welcome Dr. Omalara. And um, I just want to say this bio is bomb. I had to read the whole thing because our sis is out here doing it. Um, but so welcome to our podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I'm super excited. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk to you guys and your audience.
1: Absolutely. So today you all will be talking about protecting Black women in medicine. And so, and so to kick it off, I'm going to ask Dr. Amalara, what are the challenges that Black women have to deal with in the healthcare system?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we only have a certain amount of time, so I'm going <laughs> to try and make sure that I stay within, but it's so much. And I think the way that I I like to think about is that in the healthcare system, as you know, I, I think most of us don't have the opportunity sometimes to play the role, to be in the role of patient and provider. And I think there are two, those are two spaces that both of them have challenges and issues. So starting with when women are coming into the healthcare setting, black women in particular, I would say there's three places of um, the need for change and the challenges. I think one has been just thinking societally about our health and the issues that lead to higher um, levels of high blood pressure, diabetes. Um, It's really, I think sometimes we get labeled as, oh, we have higher levels of this or higher prevalence of this when actually it's disproportionate poverty that's been that's due to systemic racism mm-hmm. in terms of where we live our housing deprivation the more the more of us being unable to buy the wealth gap um, and the housing segregation and that leads us to issues like higher levels of asthma and food deserts where we can't find um, the you know food that actually is healthy for us and the issues of obesity and so I think that one, it's the racism that we deal with from a structural level that gives us higher prevalence of these of these medical conditions. But in addition, the problems with accessing and utilizing healthcare that looks like us, that is like able to respond to us where we have more physicians and more healthcare providers that understand our cultural experience. Um, I think that's an issue as well, as well as the fact that oftentimes Many of the, the areas where we live and work are health deserts as well. Like you have to take this many trains or drive here to get to a high quality, get high quality health care. But the biggest thing that I think that we've heard most in the news has been around the fact that oftentimes at the bedside, even if we were able to like overcome the structural issues or the access issues, when we get to the bedside, it's been shown that Black patients actually oftentimes feel like they're less listened to they're not valued they're not involved in shared decision making and a lot of times they're just talked at and often that leaves a difficulty of people being able to share what's really going on and a lot of times it's misdiagnosis and lack of the correct treatment which we've Mm -hmm. seen the outcomes of yeah
0: yeah um this makes you wanna ask if there are any preventative factors that black women can be made aware of to support themselves as they're utilizing the healthcare system. I have to write this question cause I'm thinking about like my search for a black doctor and not being able to find one. And then being able to find one. they say is in my insurance and I call and they're like, actually we're not within your insurance. So kind of want to ask this question selfishly for myself but then also for the audience
2: yeah so first i'm going to give a shout out to ashley wisdom who is a a friend of mine now and she um, has an app called health in her hue and so if you don't know about health in her hue h-u-e You should look that up because she's been assembling and there's a lot that are coming up black women physicians directory um i think uh dr joy from i I forget the podcast thank Mm -hmm. you she's created something for therapy so i think that there are different spaces but health in her hue has been greatly i think enlarging in terms of being able to have a lot of providers sign up for that not just physicians but all sorts doulas nurses, healthcare, all sorts. And the idea was getting a national directory where we would be able to basically overcome that challenge that you're talking about. I think the other piece of it is recognizing what do we do in the spaces of healthcare encounters. So number one, I think it's really important to know who your team is that's taking care of you, right? So whether that be in the like. outpatient setting where if you go to an academic hospital per se you might have somebody who's still in training and somebody who is you know the attending and it's often important for us to make that distinction and ask if they haven't introduced themselves as such Mm -hmm. to really know who's the decision-making person who's coming into your rooms. We also, if you're in hospitals, a lot of times there's a huge team. You have nurses, you have medical assistants. And one of the things that I recommend for some of my patients is to bring in a book where people can literally just write who they are on their team and their name. And so you get a good idea of knowing what's happening. Because when you're in a healthcare encounter, you're really not focused. You're trying to like make sure that you're keeping... Track of yourself. The second thing I would say is also writing down your questions before you get to the doctor. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you get like white coat struck or whatever, but right. like, as soon as you enter the doctor's, you know you had a lot of questions for the last month. And then as soon as you enter, okay, so what these questions do you have? And like my patient's like, uh, I don't. Uh, mm. and I'm like, <laughs> I know you have some questions. So writing down and keeping something, whether it be on your phone, just like taking a memo, whatever that is, when something comes up, just having those questions at hand for you. So the doctor can do their job, which is, you know, to they're working for you pretty much. They're trying to do that. And then one of the other things I usually will say is ensure that you don't have to make any decisions Um, if you don't, if you don't want to at that time, remember that, you know, you, if some, some of us, I think we come from, um, communities and families where the decision-making around something might need, like, you know, a spiritual advisor, maybe an elder in your family, and it's okay to say, okay, can I sit with this and then get back to you? It's okay to do that. In an emergency situation, it's probably not okay to do that, but one of the things you need to ask in emergencies is ask for something we call informed consent. And a lot of doctors sometimes due to the just how quickly things run, a lot of them sometimes don't go through it. And so the four questions that should be a part of your informed consent that they should be asking you or that you can ask, right, are what are the benefits of this treatment, that whatever it is, what are the harms of it? Like what are going to be the, the, the side effects or the bad things that could happen? What is the impact? How is it gonna change the course of like what's going on with me right now? And the last thing is what happens if I do nothing? And so those are really important to jot down especially if you're debating on an actual decision around like a treatment or anything like our medication
0: yes thank you for that this is good y'all you know over notes. i'm over here taking all these notes like this is so important and you know i've shared it with the audience that i am expecting and i'm kind of scared because i'm a black woman and last year especially i was hearing about all these black women dying during birth and now that i'm pregnant, i'm like kind of scared and so like i told you like the search for like even a black pcp Now I'm looking for obstetrician. I'm like searching high and low and I can't seem to find one. So now I'm even more scared. So I'm curious about ways that I can feel supported and some key people I should probably have on my team for this transition in my life.
2: Yeah. So I think first and foremost, take a breath. (laughs) Calm down. Take a breath. (laughs) Baby needs oxygen. So... (laughs) So congratulations first of all Thank and I think <laughs> I think you know the the biggest thing um, is that it is scary it is scary to see those numbers but I think you've overcome the first thing which is recognizing that I need I need people behind me I need like and that's for every pregnancy because you're you're alone doing so much work, just as like trying to keep this baby growing, right? And so I think a few of the things is identifying who is gonna be your just regular support system. Who are the people who are, are helping you out? And you know, a lot of us have really lean support systems a lot of times because we haven't asked for help, honestly. Um, and a lot of us, you know, feel like we're burdening. So I think one is recognizing pregnancy can be a stressful time and really being able to take advantage of whoever is showing up and, and asking people for help is important. I think in terms of the actual like pregnancy, you know, there's been a lot of data about just having an extended care team, which includes a doula, which and sometimes for some women, you know, they If the pregnancy has been not you know what we like to say is not eventful meaning it hasn't been a high-risk pregnancy a lot of us really are moving towards midwives and and thinking about other opportunities and places that you can um give birth to that allow for you that aren't anxiety provoking for you i gave birth to both of my babies in a hospital but that's because it was more anxiety provoking for me to like not not like to not be in the hospital. <laughs> and when you're in a doctor and you've done residency in the hospital, the hospital is actually like, oh, it's a safe space because you spent so much of your life there. But um so I think each of us have to make that decision about what is the the best environment for us that helps us to feel um, you know, just feel more relaxed. And then also thinking about I didn't have a doula, but given everything that we see about how amazing they are. I was like, "Mm, I I wish I did have a doula. Um, And and I do think that the other piece of thinking about your pregnancy is also just staying informed. I think that, you know, whatever is the best way that you like to consume information, particularly around, you know, what are the the things that you want to ask? What are the questions you're having? Many of us, like you said, when we don't have doctors who look like us, we kind of fear asking questions or just don't, don't feel as comfortable. And we think certain questions are, are dumb or we're gonna be judged. And I think you have to, in order to be safe, you have to say, look, I'm asking the questions that I need. And then you use apps like Health and Her Hue to find physicians that you feel comfortable with that you can disclose as much as possible because that's really important for your physician.
0: Thank you for that. Now I feel a little bit more at ease because I was like, and it's crazy how things work because once we like scheduled, I was like, this is perfect timing. I'm asking about this, and
1: I know she better have an answer for me, so <laughs> <laughs> that feels oh, yeah, really but, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's just so informative. It is making me think about like like why we don't get this information a lot, like why it's not as easily accessible, right? So like, I could probably go and talk to my mom right now and she probably wouldn't think and probably she probably doesn't do these things
2: and you know like that's scary actually yeah yeah I mean I would say that um I I have a chronic illness an autoimmune disorder called multiple sclerosis and I think that two things happened one having my babies and number two then having a ch- chronic illness and both of those put me into situations where you had to now move into that other space, right? Of being the patient. And then when you sit there, you're like, wow, this system is really messed up. And and then you start to kind of internalize and see, well, what are the things that even as someone who is actually well-informed about the healthcare system and everything, and I'm still jumping through hoops, what are the things that people like me have to do in order to like get to that place where at least they're able to feel safe, and I, I think it was just like being able to do that reflection and look back and say, okay, I think people should do this, people should do this, and then being able to share that kind of information. But once again, right, the the exp- the reason for how I can say these things is because I'm a black woman who was a patient, right, and so. Being able to have that experience is why it's so important for b- Black women to be in those roles. Um, right now, only two percent of all physicians in the U.S. are Black women, and so you know, it, one, that's why it's hard to find us because <laughs> there aren't that many of us, right? But two, um, a lot of times we're concentrated in a lot of the cities and other and other spaces, so it, it is really difficult. But I do think, like you said, I do think that there's an important space where we have to recognize, right, that we're all the the same. Kind of when we think about police encounters, no one knows if you a doctor, no one's asking you this, like you're Black. And the same thing for me coming into a healthcare system, you know, I'm first seen as a Black woman and how do I protect myself when I know these are spaces that have not been kind to us and have not really like valued how we and have just pretty much dismissed and disrespected and devalued us oftentimes. So yeah, yeah. And I'm
1: just I'm just thinking about this. This is it's kind of a little bit unrelated, but with like COVID, right, um, and the vaccinations and you know our healthcare just kind of um you know going through transitions for a lot of us uh what have been your thoughts on like just like the different um the different concerns or issues that may come up or I don't know this if you I don't know if you know this is just something I'm thinking about I don't know if it makes sense
2: no it does it does really make sense I think one of the big issues for me um around COVID right we know that uh, right now, the numbers have really shown uh, before they used to be almost three to four times in terms of deaths of black of black people in comparison to white people um, who who had COVID. And, and I think what we're seeing now is about twice as as much, which is still problematic. And I think that as we I think COVID. Is has, you know, it came at a point where it was very dramatic in terms of what was happening black people were just dying and dying and dying black and brown people. And I think now it has pushed many of us right to say this is not just something that is, you know, bad but this is something that is really taking our lives at a huge pace and so we we have to come out of the forefront a lot of physicians you know many of us are kind of conservative we're kind of type a we're kind of like don't ruffle any feathers like just make it through medical school we're good okay um but many of us are are, have now become very outspoken one of the initiatives that i've been working on is um, with six other Black women physicians is um, called the Coalition to Advance Anti-Racism in Medicine, and our goal really was prompted by a name that you may not know, um, Dr. Susan Moore, and Dr. Susan Moore was a physician in Indiana who was caring for people right on the front lines, and then ended up being diagnosed with COVID, and actually um, actually created a, a video of her on Facebook as she was in the hospital and stated that she wasn't getting the pain medicine, stated Mm. that they weren't diagnosing her, they were gonna send her home, but she had to use her medical knowledge to prompt them to give her the right diagnosis and had florid pneumonia and didn't get, only got two of the doses that she needed for the medicine for COVID. And she ultimately, about three weeks later, ended up in the ICU and passed away, leaving Mm. her son. And the, and so I, it really um, prompted a fire in our belly about the fact that um, we are unsafe. Black physicians who speak out, there's two who are in our cohort who actually um, were fired from their positions and were let go. And so the retaliation is real when we're speaking out about these things and hospitals where like Dr. Susan Moore died aren't being held accountable. And so this requires not only the demand from all of us in our um, personal individual encounters, but also the work we're doing around legislation and really protecting and having things in place and laws that will protect both providers and patients who are black and brown from these kind of issues and make sure that these institutions are held accountable.
1: Wow.
0: Thank you for touching on her because I feel like a lot of people didn't know that this happened. Um, and I remember reading about it, seeing the videos and I feel like nobody was really talking about it. I'm like, how are people not seeing this? Like this needs to be known that this happened.
2: And yeah, they're talking about bonnets instead. Um, oh my
1: goodness. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. And I mean, it kind of goes to our next question, which is, um, you know, you as a doctor, have you noticed, uh, other healthcare professionals treating you differently once they find out that you're in the profession?
2: Oh, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and of course, like, and it's like, I don't do it right away. Cause I'm just trying to like, you know, trying to be okay. Okay. You're doing this, but you can see when people aren't like completely explaining things or people aren't, you know, sharing things or people, you know, and then you can also see the other side where you have some doctors who are doing it right. And who are like, um, and that's good to see, but I, but I, there's a complete shift. If once they find out I'm a physician, you know it's kind of like, and I, I know it because We've done it too, where it's like, that's a physician or that's the daughter of a physician or da, 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 you know, so they know. And I think that's one of the pieces that I didn't mention in terms of protecting yourself is one, if you do have a a PCP who you really value and trust, letting them know if you're, if you're hospitalized, letting them know that you're there, you need, uh, I don't want to say it's someone to protect you, but I might just say that someone, you need someone who they know is watching kind of what is going on. So if it's a nurse in your family, if it's whatever it is, if it's, you know, whoever, just making sure that they're there to be able to, you know, talk to the medical team and just really, it doesn't even have to be, they have to be a specific expert. It's just someone to advocate for you. And also know that there are people in the system called patient advocates when you're hospitalized that you can talk to if you're having issues with your medical team. What I will say is that a lot of them haven't been really trained in the space of talking through medical racism and making sure that medical racism is acknowledged. And so that was the issue with Susan Moore. She did call on a patient advocate and they kind of were like, we don't know handle your claims per se and so she had to actually use her degree to get up to the chief medical officer which many of us can't do
1: wow oh my goodness wow it's so much um you know with all this information that you hear and see and I I can hear that you all are doing the work uh that you're doing the work and I think it's beautiful um But, you know, sometimes it it can become overwhelming. So I'm wondering, like, personally, how do you take care of yourself?
2: Yes. So this is funny. So actually, you know, I think my daughters have really, like, helped so much with that. They... um. They know in the work that I do in melanin and medicine that my goal is to make sure physician women are taking care of themselves and they'll hold my feet to the fire if I'm not doing the same so they honestly um re- like even now I had to reschedule everything for the summer so no Saturdays I can't work so they <laughs> so so Saturdays and Sundays are free now and I think that it's really just making sure for me understanding I think each of us needs to understand what it is. How do we get our energy? I'm an introvert. So I like, like after something like this, I need to go into a hole, read a book, like go to sleep because I know things like that drain my energy, but some people are really energized by having people around them. So identifying what it is for you and looking back at your week and saying, oh, you know, this is when I felt most alive and starting to like capture that. So for me, it definitely is reading. I'm a a big nerd, so it's like reading. I love like, also like Real Housewives, anything, like I will watch (laughs) and that's very, that's very helpful for me. But really, um, and you know, going out with my kids and just playing with them and, and just like taking the breaks that I need. So I think it is important. We have work to do, but this is a marathon. Like this work is, they are fighting tooth and nail, like to not, like they, they see how our country is diversifying and they're fighting tooth and nail not to let us have that power. So we have to conserve our energy, tap out, give the, a baton to someone else while we're tapped out, regain our energy then go back in and I think that's the way that we can we can all work together to do this work yeah
0: I really loved having you say you have to come back um (laughs) but before you leave we always ask our um guests if they have any takeaways for our listeners that could literally be anything that stands out for you that you feel is important for our listeners to know
2: yeah so this it's funny because I do a workshop called pivot to your purpose and one of the first exercises that we do is called um, hills and valleys and so the reason why we do it is because a lot of us are not recognizing i think it, it really segues from what you talked about but not recognizing our resilience strategies and how we can take care of ourselves so one of the things i have people do is if they make a like a have a piece of paper and draw a horizontal line on that piece of paper with the with the right mo- i mean the leftmost line being kind of birth and then you can draw wherever you think your age is and what i have them do is kind of draw different vertical lines for the different accomplishments the ba- the hills in their lives mm-hmm. then i have them underneath draw vertical lines for the different valleys of their life and just jot down you know a, a thing that describes that valley thing that describes those hills and what we don't recognize is that behind every hill there's a valley after every hill there's a valley after every valley there's a hill and what i have people do is start to reflect on how did i get from this horrible valley (laughs) to this amazing hill and start to kind of recognize what is their preferred resilient strategy what's the thing that always takes them there so that they can start using that because literally What we don't repair, right, we repeat. So it's really about thinking about to yourself that if I haven't figured out, oh, this is the way that I get from here to here, then I'm going to continue going through the motions, having the anxiety, the depression, all of the things, and and staying in that valley instead of quickly learning from my past and moving into the, the way that I can get back to that next hill
0: that was amazing i'm using that with my clients in theory i was just about to say that i <laughs> love that <laughs> we talk about resiliency but we don't really go into depth about it we just congratulate people for being resilient We <laughs> tell them when they're resilient and i think that i'm wanting to take a step back and let other people identify when they're resilient and that's pretty much what you're saying here and also being able to put the words to it is like so powerful i love that yeah and, I, and you know and
2: i do because often we we get all the accolades for you know being resilient right it's like a the the strong they replace the strong with resilient and it's kind of like yes thank you and like you know the goal is that that's not all that we're allowed to be like being in a space where we don't just have resilient, right because that's what people kind of are like well she'll get over it she's good like she's gonna she'll take care i know it's hard but you know and i think our goal really is to make sure that we don't have to tolerate being in spaces where all we're allowed to be is resilient. Mm-hmm. So that's like my end goal. That's what I'm pushing for. That's probably why I'm an entrepreneur now because <laughs> those spaces were like, well, wait a minute. But um, I think that's really important for us. Recognize the resilience, but make sure you have the ability to be more than that.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much for Making my Sunday, <laughs> and for joining us today, we really appreciate it. Uh, having this conversation is so important, and we hope you have a good rest of your weekend.
2: You too, and thank you for what you guys are doing. You know, I follow you on Instagram, and really like love kind of the the vibe that you all have. So I'm just very excited and happy to be able to be of service to any of the listeners. And and you all are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, thank, you. thank you so much. All right. Uh, (laughs) all right y'all
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode I think that my takeaway is just gonna be plain and simple I am hopping my ass on this helping you app um and I'm also thinking about who is my team when it comes to you know when I'm going into the doctor who is my support I'm also thinking about like my emergency contacts because usually like I put my parents but I'm like that doesn't make sense they don't live here so I'm also thinking about who's gonna be my emergency contacts and Who else can be like of support that makes sense because I think that's something I don't really think about
1: so that's what I'm thinking what you thinking Donika I'm thinking I want to most definitely like spread the word of the information that I've heard today I immediately I'm like I want to talk to like my mom and like my parents and my sister like everybody around me like I feel like we need to know this information we need to be able to to not only advocate for ourselves but advocate for our close and loved ones um because obviously nobody else is gonna do it so we got to um which is not a horrible thing especially when you have the information so that is my takeaway i am most definitely about to you know talk to some folks and give them the information too
0: so I wanna thank y'all for tuning to this week's episode of Black Women Healing Pie and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your week.